Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Thanks, Brad. Uh, thanks, Bill Jordan, for letting us experience that with you. It's a great day. We want to continue our journey through the whole story of reality as we go from Genesis uh, through Revelation. Today we're in Genesis 11 in the Pew Bible, that black Bible uh, in the seat in front of you. It's on page 10 if you have your own copy of Scripture. I don't know what page it's on, but it's toward, toward the front of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 11, we're going to look through verse um, 1 through 9 today. As we look at this do-it-yourself religion that's going on at the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babel. So as we, as we do that, as we begin, I want to just ask you a question and I want to see by response of raised hands. How many of you know more than one language pretty proficiently? Raise your hand pretty high. Do you know you're bilingual? At least bilingual. Anybody know more than, uh, more than two languages? Anybody? Anybody at all know more than two languages? Or wish you knew more than two languages? No. How many of you can say thank you in at least three languages? Huh? All right, let's hear it. All right, I know thank you, and I know gracias, and I know danke schön. That's all I know. And I don't even know if I can say that right. Anybody know another one? Uh, what is that? Is that Italian? Grazie, okay. All right. Uh, what was it? Kupchai, I forgot. I'm sorry. It's been a few years since we went to Laos. And so when we think about all those things, uh, sometimes we think we're saying something when we're learning a new language that we're not really saying. That's how it is with the Christian life too, isn't it? Sometimes we think we're saying something with our life that we're not really saying. J.D. Greer is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention right now, and he was a missionary in Indonesia, and he tells a story that I think illustrates this point. He was in, a, in Indonesia, hadn't learned the language very well yet, and he was in a restaurant, and he was sneezing, and so he didn't know the, the word for Kleenex. It was kind of a specific word, but he did know the word for, for sneeze, and uh, so he says, across the restaurant to the waitress, uh, I need to sneeze, or so he thinks. Instead of sneeze, the word that was close to it, he says, I need to fornicate. <laughs> Quite a different meaning, he says. <laughs> and it, it, That's bad to say in any language, right? But, but it's really bad when you're an American in a Muslim world. And, and people looking all around you, he thought he was saying one thing, he was saying another thing. By the way, if you need to know, children, what fornicate means, Ricky Galvan is still here. And he, you, the, the days are fast. Uh, uh, he's, <laughs> he's moving and leaving next week. So if you need to know what circumcision is about or fornication is about, Ricky Galvan, right here. R Ricky, would you raise your hand right there? Yeah. <laughs> you come. You come. It's just a... Just kind of a fancy name for sneeze, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but how in the world did we get all these different languages? That's the story of uh, Babel, of Babel. Why, why did God do what he did here? Was it a, an, an act of judgment or an act of mercy or both? And, and why does that matter to you? And to me. Because what's going on here does matter, even though it happened probably 5,000 years ago, some would estimate. 
how does that apply right here, right now? Because what's going on there is going on here. Because people are still trying to achieve heaven on their own. Still trying to get to God like those people were. Would you look at it with me? In honor of the reading of God's Word, Genesis 11, beginning with verse 1 all the way through verse 9, as we unpack this do-it-yourself religion together, stand in honor of God's Word, would you? At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, now that's almost always in the first few chapters of Genesis, migrating to the east is always significant, moving away from God. East of Eden, Cain went to the east. And so all the movement toward the east, I don't know, does that mean going to, to sea graves is an evil sort of thing or moving away from God? I'm not certain that's going on. But the movement to the east here is a movement away from God in His ways. And they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, or yours may say Shinar, and settled there. And they began to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the heavens or into the sky. And this will make us famous or make our name great. And keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. And they all speak the same language. And after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages then they won't be able to end each other. In, in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. And that is why the city was called Babel, or Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, He scattered them all over the world. Father, teach us from this. It seems a little confusing. Just like their languages were confused, we don't fully understand all that's going on. But I think, Lord, as we trust You and Your Spirit to speak through these words and through me, Father, we can see what You're calling us to do. Who You're calling us to be in this day, this time. For your glory, Lord, speak. For unless you speak, Father, I have nothing to say. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Grab that bulletin if you would. There's a fill-in-the-blank uh, outline there I want to draw your attention to as we look at this do-it-yourself a religion. The first thing I want you to see there is do-it-yourself religion attempts to reach heaven on its own efforts. 
That's what all religion does. Do you realize that? The difference between Christianity, I've told you many times, and every other religion in the world, is Christianity is not about doing. It's about what's been done. That doesn't mean that there's not an aspect of doing to Christianity that takes place, but that does mean that we begin with the fact that Jesus Christ has already done everything we need done for us to be reconnected to the Father in relationship with Him. But religion says, let's build a tower. Let's build a tower up to the heavens. Let's become great in ourselves. Now, there's three aspects to this. Let's build this city. Everybody wants to belong somewhere, right? That's the whole um, home team kind of aspect, the whole hometown concept. Everybody wants to be a part of a family. Everybody wants a people. To belong to. Everybody wants a team. And so when we think about what we do in life and how we do it, much of what we do and how we do it has um, that very sin in mind. We're trying to please other people so that we can enter into a relationship uh, with them. But first and foremost, before we belong to them, we've got to understand we belong to God. He's the one who's created us. And we will get along and belong with one another in families, in churches, in communities when we first and foremost have made our peace with God and had our sins covered by His precious blood on the cross and realized that it's not a matter of how good we are. Now, parents, we think about our children and we want them to be good, don't we? That's what we tell them. I tell my kids all the time, if you can't be good, be careful. At least, and I want, but I want them to be good because they reflect on me and they certainly reflect on, on their mother and she's a good person. And I mean, not so much, but she is. And so I want to make sure that they, they reflect good on her. But let me tell you this, parents. Your kids can't be good because you can't be good. Apart from the grace of God, there is no good in us. We've tried it, haven't we? And our attempts to reach to heaven are what they're doing. They're building these, this tower, this city. The, the city is about belonging, but the tower is about significance. I want to do something important. I want to do something special with my life. I want to make a difference. And we all had that in us as well. And so they build this tower. And the ancient Babylonians uh, built these, what they called ziggurats. And, and there's archaeological evidence to them, and they would build them kind of like a, a birthday cake, another step. They were stairways to heaven. And they'd paint the top of those uh, ziggurats blue so it just looked like it kind of blended into heaven. You'd see them from, from a distance. And so that they thought they were something important by building these massive structures. And that's what's going on here in Genesis 11. But we get this language thing going on here. They think they're doing something fabulous by building these huge towers. Can you imagine how, how tall those towers were? I mean, at, at 30,000 feet, they, they run out of oxygen, right? I'm sure they're not that, that tall. But just imagine with me for a moment, they build it as tall as they possibly can, trying to reach God in their own effort. And God in heaven who can see everything can't see that tower. <laughs> Not that he can't, but 
the wording is, he has to come down to see it. And your, your wording in the ESV might say, the little children of men are building these towers. It's like God has to come down and say, oh, isn't that cute, that little tower, that thing you thought was so important. That, you've done such a marvelous job, you little children, you. That's what it's like when we try in our own efforts to restore a relationship with God. We can never do it. We can never do enough. That seems so foreign to us. Even as Christians, sometimes that's what we think the Christian life is about. It's about doing good. It's about being a good person. It's about uh, being better than we were before we knew Christ. And there's an aspect of all of that that is true, that people ought to see the change that Jesus has made in our life. But we never, ever, ever get to heaven, get to God, where God is. In our own efforts. You get there because of what Jesus has done for you. And for me. We get there on his ticket. We understand that. It's not bad to want to belong. It's not bad to want to be significant. And it's not even bad. Look what they're doing. They're trying to make a name for themselves. It's not bad to desire greatness. But our our greatness and our name for ourselves and, and our significance and our security and our belonging has to be not in what we can do, but in what God has done for us and how we connect to Him through Jesus. Do you see the difference? It's huge. The difference between religion, do, and a relationship with Christ, Christianity, done, cannot be overstated. And I want you to know, that could free a lot of you up. That could free a lot of you up in the way you're living life. Because doing makes you tired. Makes you discouraged. Makes you wonder all the time, is what I'm doing making a difference? Makes you depressed. Makes you feel defeated a lot of time if that's all you're doing. But when you are connected to the one who's done, and you give yourself to to Him, and the good things you do are because He's called you to do. Now, what, what's going on here is that He has called the people on earth to scatter. Remember? From the very beginning when He creates Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 26 and 28, verse 28 says, He says to Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they did, and then we get to chapter 5, and they're only doing evil all the time, and so God has to reboot and restart with Noah. And at the end of that, in chapter 9, He says the same thing to Noah He did to Adam and Eve. Chapter 9, verse 1, He says, Be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth. In other words, scatter all over the earth. That's God's way. God wants us to scatter. God wants us to be Open-handed. God wants us to be generous. God wants all nations to come to know Him. It's our way to hoard and to hold on and to stay secure in and of ourselves and to build our own little kingdom and our own little tower, our own little city. You see that? They're not doing what God wants them to do. I'm convinced that's why He confuses their language. Not so much that they were in unity. He wants unity for us, but He wants unity for His sake and for His glory to do His things, not 
our own sake and our own name and our own glory. Brings us to the second point there. The second point is that do-it-yourself religion attempts um, or operates in this realm, selfishness and pride. See, the, the first section, he, we're building a, a city and, and building a, a tower and making our name great, and trying to avoid all that scattering. When God has said, no, I want you to scatter. But we selfishly and pridefully want to do it our way. And think about this for just a moment. The, the decree that God has given us, be fruitful and, and multiply. What's he saying? Hey, now, parents, if your children are underage, maybe you want to cover their ears at this point, but what he's saying is, have sex and travel, is he not? Now, that's within the confines of the marriage, right? You think about that. How good is God to say that to his people? And yet, they do what they want to do. And notice, if you uh, would, the boldness in, in this section. By the way, this section, the verse 4 is what we've been focusing on. And on your, your outline, what they say is, we're going to do it. Let us do it in our own efforts and for our own glory. So in essence, what they're saying is, by my will and my strength for my glory, I'm going to do what I want. See how important this section is for us? Because the root of every sin you've ever committed is there. Selfishness. And pride. In fact, that's the root of sin in, in our world. If we talk about the great one who's come to deceive us, the, the evil one, Satan himself, that's what happened and that's what's going on in Isaiah 14. I want you to see on the screen, th this is about Satan. I'm going to read a few other verses besides that. In Isaiah 14, he's doing that very same thing. And he's talking, and Isaiah's talking about uh, a previous time when Lucifer fell from heaven. And he says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star. You are an angel, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroy the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. That's the sin that Lucifer commits to become Satan. I will. I want to be. I, my will, in my strength, for my glory. You realize you are closer to the heart and mindset of Satan 
when you are selfish and prideful than you are whether you're a, a prostitute or drug addict, a murderer or an adulterer. Just desiring to do things your way in your time without regard for God, and that affects every single one of us. There's the damage that's been done in our world. There's what's gone wrong in your life and mine. And so I ask you again, what God does in confusing the language, is it a judgment on the people or is it mercy? And the answer is both. He confuses their language so they won't continue in that path of disobedience, doing things their own way. When he said to scatter, and they want to gather. He confuses their language so that in His mercy, they'll see and call out to Him. Can you imagine what it was like? They're, here they are building this tower. Oh, everything's going great. They're putting those, those bricks together. They're, they're putting the tar in between as mortar. And it's just climbing and climbing and climbing. And until God comes down and sees what's going on, He came down to their level because they couldn't get up to His. And so when we, we look at the story of what's going on there he, as, he, as He comes down, then one day they wake up and here's, here's how Sally Joan, uh, Lloyd-Jones says it in the children's storybook Bible. One morning they went to work as usual. Everything was different. By the way, this Bible's there, and if you've got a family, or even if you don't and you don't know anything about the Scripture, grab this storybook Bible. It gives you the whole story. I don't know if you realize this or not, but every section in this whole story of reality we've been going through, it's just another section of the storybook Bible. Because it's basic. And here's what she says. One morning they went to work as usual, but everything was different. Their words were all new and funny. You see, God had given each person a completely different language. Suddenly one understood what, or no one understood what anyone else was saying. Someone would say, how do you do? And the other person thought they said, how ugly are you? It's funny, or it wasn't funny. You could be saying something nice like, such a lovely morning. And get a punch in the nose because they thought you said, hush, you're boring. You know, could you imagine how different the world was in that moment? They could understand each other the next morning. What's going on? Chapter 10 of Genesis tells about the scattering of the nations. Chapter 10 and 11 are actually in reverse chronological order. You think about what's going on. That's how all the language, all the nations, all the divisions started to happen. When people chose their own way and God in His mercy scattered them. They were left with this. Here's number three on your outline. You're following along. Towers of disappointment. Because when you do your own thing and you go your own way, you forget God and don't follow His plans for the family or for marriage or for relationships, for life, for finances, for anything. There's always a price to pay. 
and they had this price to pay and that life didn't meet their expectations. There's a disappointment. Their tower doesn't make it to heaven. And neither do yours. You find yourself in a place of disappointment this morning. Maybe. Marriage hadn't turned out like you wanted it to. Or your family hadn't turned out like you wanted them to. Your kids didn't turn out like you wanted them to turn out. Or you're still in the process and you're wondering about all that. Or, or your job disappoints. Or retirement is disappointing. You thought you'd have a lot more time, a lot more freedom, a lot more fun. And then you realize you don't have a lot more money. And it's disappointing. It's not what you thought it was going to be. Because it's been all about you. And when it's all about you, it's going to be disappointing. That's not how God has created you. God has created you to live in relationship with Him. And you get these glimpses, these moments in this life of being used by the hand of Almighty God. And you know what you were created for. And you know there's a better way. God is building a better tower, a better family, a better way. There's all these towers of disappointment. Tim Keller calls them idols. We've seen a lot of those things torn down. Money and sports and sex and leisure and and luxury and travel and all those things have been torn down. And we know they leave us ultimately empty. That there's more. See, when I was a little kid, all I wanted to do was achieve. I was trying to please a daddy that I never even knew. I grew up as a uh, the son of the third son, or the second son, the third child of, of a single mom. And, and I wanted to be the best athlete. I wanted to be the best student. I wanted to be the best person I could possibly be so that somehow, some way, I could prove myself. It is a miserable way to live. There's some things that happened that were good along the way, but it's still a miserable way to live. Our world is so into industry and independence and those things aren't bad that's what our country's been founded on but they are bad when they lead us to a point where we don't realize our need for God that there's a better way and maybe that's where we are we don't need him anymore we're so affluent we've got things going our way we're we're healthy now or not we realize there's still this deep need that the towers we've been trying to build in our lives don't satisfy. And so what do we do with those idols? What do we do with those towers? Well, we blame, we blame the idols. We chose the wrong thing. Maybe you've been in this spot where you got married young and you thought you didn't know what you were doing and so you were going to go your separate ways and you realize there might be somebody out there that would be the the deep soul made of your soul and that you would try that again and you, you thought that's what you needed and, and that person who was just going to be perfect was standing right over there by the unicorn next to the, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They don't exist. 
because there's only one who's perfect. Those idols of disappointment, we blame the idol, or maybe we blame ourselves. We just didn't work hard enough. We just didn't do enough. Or maybe we just blame this broken world and we become cynical and we realize nothing is ever going to turn out for us. Or, and here's the best option, we realize we were created for another world. God's world. Here's how C.S. Lewis says it. I'm going to close with this quote because it's powerful. I'm going to call you to an invitation, maybe respond. As God leads you right now, he says, If I find myself in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You realize that? God made you not to build your way to heaven. God made you to accept his gift of grace. For it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, and this not from ourselves, so that we can't boast. It's not about us and what we've achieved. Verse 10 of, of Hebrews, I mean of Ephesians 2 says, We are God's workmanship. We're his masterpiece. We're his work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he's got these plans for good works. But what he wants us to experience first is his grace. What he's done for us. We're saved through what he did. Laying down his life for us on the cross. Is that real to you? Is that personal to you? You may be living in this, this life, in this world. And never really encountered what it means to have a relationship with God. I'm not talking about religion or doing good or being moral. I'm talking about reconnecting with God. And the only way we can do that is humbling ourselves and saying, I, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't do it. I believe, though, Jesus, you did it for me. You lived that perfect life. And you died that sacrificial death. And now, this day, Jesus, I choose you. The better way. The best way to live. If you have never done that, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. I want to give you the opportunity to surrender your life back to God because He created it in the first place. And if you've done that, I want to give you the opportunity to surrender your, your will and your strength and your efforts back to Him, your glory, would you live for Him? Let's pray together. Father, I, I know people in this place are in lots of different levels of belief. Some have just come. And they've come because somebody's invited them. But it's not by accident they're here hearing this message that there's a better way. Father, I know some have been struggling and thinking about this, not really understanding all of it and are at a different step in the journey. 
But Father, wherever we are, lots of us have already made that commitment to give ourselves back to you. We just need to live it. Just need our lives to speak what we want them to speak. That it's not our will, by our strength. It's not our glory, and it's yours that we want to live for. We want to make your name great through our lives. So, Father, as we sing, would your spirit work? And would you give people courage to respond to this invitation? Come, be a part of this kingdom, this family. Come, help serve through this church, being part of this church like you've called us to. Come, lift someone who's far from you, part of our people to you. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we